Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, hoping we find, find you all in good form. John Paul on his own taking calls uh, today. Uh, Sadie's on a day off. So anything you want to share with us, give John Paul a call. 1850 You can text or WhatsApp 86 And all of the papers picking up on what has been described as a turning point uh, was reached in the fight against the coronavirus uh, yesterday when it was announced There was no new deaths of the infection to be reported in the previous 24 hours. The breakthrough now, obviously everyone is using, well not everyone, but a lot of people are using it to heighten the campaign to reduce the two metre rule on physical distancing to the one, to make it one metre instead. Uh, Leo Varadkar was one of the first out to welcome the news of no deaths and he says it was a significant milestone. And I quote from Leo Varadkar yesterday, he said, first day with no reported COVID-19 deaths since March the 21st. So it's just over two months. He said this is a day of hope and he said we will prevail. Uh, The Chief Medical Officer Tony Houlihan who announced uh, the figures yesterday confirmed also that he's meeting with Cabinet Ministers at some stage this week as he says pressure is growing to reduce the two metre physical distancing rule to one metre and of course by doing it it would hugely help out the hospitality uh, trade and it would help out a lot of other businesses and you know the hospitality trade are getting rest- ready, restaurants and cafes are getting ready to open. It would make a massive difference to them if they were allowed to space out people and tables on a one metre rule rather than a two metre rule. In many cases uh, I was reading on, reading up on some people in the restaurant trade saying that the two the, a one metre rule means that they could almost double the amount of people that they would have in their restaurants because there are a cohort of restaurants and indeed other businesses who are saying that if the two metre social distancing remains in place then they won't open their doors because it won't pay them to be open. I mean some restaurants uh, that say before COVID-19 would have been able to fit say 100 people with the restrictions they may now be only able to fish 20. They may be able to work if they were able to get 50 people into the restaurant but on 20 it would be impossible for them to make any money and even you know with reduced staff it just wouldn't be possible because all the overheads are still going to be there still going to pay the same amount of rent still going to pay the same amount of insurance cost of heating and light all of that remains in place so they just it's just not economically viable for them to open so you can see why there is this 
big push to try to reduce the social distancing from two metres to one metre. Now, Dr Tony Houlihan, uh, yesterday when he was commenting on the fact, because he announced the figures, it was he announced that there was no fatality in the previous um, 24 hours and he said, you know, it was significant that he was reporting a zero deaths. But then he did say, and I think this is important, he did say that there's always what he calls a weekend effect in terms of reporting and that sadly people can die at the weekend but the deaths aren't reported on until Monday. They may not be included in the figures that he calls out on Monday evening. Like, And he cited the example that the previous Monday he had reported that there, there had been four deaths and we were talking about the fact that there had only been four deaths this day last week and then there was a jump on the Tuesday. It was almost like a catch-up on deaths that had occurred over the weekend but just hadn't been uh, reported. So that could be that, that could be the case as well. But it still is it still is very welcomed news and he you know he does accept that we are continuing a downward trend on the number of deaths. And I every day keep an eye on the figure that is on the critical list of cases. If you go to that really good graph that is it's a worldwide graph showing all the cases of COVID-19 across the world and it shows the numbers of people the total number of people have died in all of the individual countries and then it shows their daily death rates and how many new cases have been reported and it also gives the number of serious cases in each of the countries and it's the one I watch for Ireland every day because they are the ones that are in our, our ICU many of them are on ventilators at the moment and if we are to see deaths they're going to come in a lot of cases from that cohort of the serious cases and our serious cases continues to drop I think it was at 54 uh, yesterday uh, so yeah, and that's the figure that we need to watch we need to keep reducing that if we keep reducing that then obviously we're going to keep reducing the number of people that pass away uh, in this uh, country and Dr Tony Houlihan was asked about this the easing of the restrictions and the easing of the social distancing rule and, but, and he warned that the easing of any restrictions will lead to more cases and it will lead to more clusters in areas such as workplace settings. Now, so far, we're progressing through phase one and we haven't seen a spike in cases. So I think we can take great comfort and great hope from that. When he was questioned on the two metre physical distancing rule, which pubs and restaurants and businesses want reduced, he said all the measures in the advice from Neffet, he said all of them are under constant review. He said it's something we will look at, but we look at it with other measures. He said it's important to say it's not a magic thing on its own. It's not to say that everything outside of two metres is safe and anything less than two metres is less safe. He says if the distance between two people is less than a metre, the risk of spreading the infection is greater than if those two people were standing two metres apart. He said we think for the moment that the two metre rule is a reasonable compromise given where we are. He says he does understand why businesses are concerned but he said it's important to look on it as part of the whole package of public health. It can't just be taken in isolation. And he said the stages that have been set out on the roadmap, and they've said this from the very beginning, are not rigid. But he said the belief was it was the right way to proceed. He said if the evidence and the guidance has changed and the assessment of the disease has altered to a point where it can be amended, then he said that would be the advice. That's the advice that Neffert will give to the government to amend 
the road map. Uh, he was also, by the way, being questioned about allowing sixth class children to return to class before the end of the year, give them a kind of a day, a uh, few days with a kind of a rite of pas- passage. And he said Neffet, in his advice to the government last week, pointed to the hope measures could be introduced to ease the challenges faced by children due to the restrictions. And I really do hope, because I think this is going to be up to local schools to decide that they get imaginative and that they do something for those sixth class pupils. It's the the one group, you know, while a lot of focus went on leaving certs and the leaving cert uh, students, we have certainly a few times heard from parents of children who are in sixth class saying, you know, those sixth class students are missing out on so much. It's it's one of those things I think if we all look back to our own school days, you know, you remember your last day, you certainly remember your leaving cert and your junior cert or your inter cert as it was before the junior cert. But that leaving sixth class, that last day in sixth class and that moving on into secondary school is is something I think most of us remember as well and you know these pupils left the school in March believing that they would be back never getting to say goodbye properly and for some of the sixth class students they've been together for eight years, they would have started junior, you know, school together in junior infants, have gone up for the eight years in primary, the largest block they'll spend in in any education setting with one group the class, for, for those that remain in the class together and then they go on to secondary but everybody in that class won't all go on to the same school so they'll never all be together again so there is a sense of sadness about that as well so I do hope that schools get a little bit imaginative and come up with some way of bringing all that group of uh, students together social distancing and, and, and all of that keep that all in mind but the big push now is on this reducing the two metres to one metres and yesterday because I knew it was going to come up again today in the programme I, you know I was reading up lots of articles on, online yesterday evening on it. I think for every one article I would read as to why we should be going and just doing the one metre which would make life a little bit easier I'd find another two saying why we see we need to be keeping at the two metre rule and again I think a great rule of thumb is to look to what other countries are doing and how they are getting on with it and like our roadmap is behind other countries which I think is great for us because we can benefit from what other countries are doing and there's so much different advice and suggestions coming in from different countries. Some countries are doing the one social distancing at one metre and getting on very successfully with it but others are using the two uh, metre rule. So we we will be as the government have been to date we will be led by the health experts and we'll be led by uh, NEFET. So we'll wait and see what comes back uh, from that. I also yesterday thought interesting to hear uh, Liz Canavan who's one of those uh, senior civil servants who we're getting to know so well. She is the, what, what's her title? She's the Assistant General uh, Secretary at the Department of the uh, Taoiseach. She was commenting on furniture stores and she said furniture stores offering viewings of their show, showrooms by appointment should not be doing so under the coronavirus restrictions. Now, I don't know whether this is happening locally, whether this is something that she's hearing about is happening in Dublin or whether it's happening nationally. Nationwide. She said at the moment the overriding objective of phase one that we're in of the government's reopening uh, of roadmap is that people, we should still be staying at home except for essential purposes. She said appointments to shop for homeware furniture or other what she calls non-essential items she said are not part of phase one and remember there was confusion and much disappointment when we got the final list of what could open on phase one many homeware stores and furniture stores were all ready to throw open their doors uh, last Monday week and then of course 
there was a spanner put in the works when the Taoiseach said, no, we're not opening homeware stores. And then Simon Harris said it wasn't time to tiki, buy curtains and dicky up at the house. So that meant homeware stores couldn't open. But it looks like some some furniture stores and hardware stores are circumnavigating the rules by doing viewings behind closed doors. Anyway, Liz Canavan picking up on that yesterday and she says the focus should remain on online ordering and delivering to those that are not opened in phase one. She said if people are trying to find loopholes, it's missing the spirit of this and she said it's really important that we try and take that phased uh, approach. And, you know, she went on to talk about the reason why they've the government have left three-week intervals between each of the opening of the different phases and that's to assess the impact of the spread of the virus and that's why we're almost one and a half weeks in to this phase and we're doing well but we need to keep on that road and keep in the spirit as she said of what we are doing. We know hardware stores were included in phase one and hardware stores are open and people are queuing outside hardware stores and social distancing and all of that. Um, But even then she's saying when you go into the hardware stores you should only be going for essential hardware. I went yesterday, got my toilet seat because I do believe that that was essential. We are nearly a month now surviving with a broken toilet seat so I queued up yesterday and I got what I needed and I got in and I got out and I think that again is the key to all all of the shopping during this phase while it's still essential is just to there's no browsing you go in with what you need to get and I know that's hard to do in in, in hardware stores if you want to browse and particularly I was in, in the co-op superstores and it's a wonderful big shop and there's loads of lovely things normally you could spend an hour just browsing around but I didn't I stayed as focused as I possibly could got the bits that I needed the only sort of really thing that that I picked up the you know the purchase when you're looking at things you think oh I think I'll have some of those it was nightlights there was a big bag of nightlights there and I love my nightlights and I I picked them up. They weren't on the list, but I wasn't, I didn't go around and spend hours looking at the nightlights. I just literally, as I was passing, picked them up and uh, and got them. Uh, but I think it's just trying to stay focused when we are going out shopping, but we are still meant to be in this. It's essential shopping only. And if we keep, I think if everybody sticks with the programme, sticks with the roadmap, we will eventually get out of all of the different phases but even when we do our new normal now is very much about queuing outside of stores and that's something I don't think we ever thought we would see ourselves doing but that's become the new normal and I think that's going to remain in place uh, for quite some time and something else that we are looking into and we've sent off an email to the Department of Agriculture to try to get clarification on this uh, an email to Patricia at c103.ie uh, from a listener says please I would prefer to stay uh, anonymous I'm wondering could you ask your listeners or find out do you know anything about meat factories and COVID-19 testing my son works in a meat plant and there's no sign of testing at the meat plant where he works now they Today, he did get his temperature checked while he was going in, but that's it. I feel that this is a disgrace. We've been hearing about clusters at meat factories all over the country. To be honest, I'm fuming over this as I have family that we literally are not going to see because we're afraid that my son could have COVID-19. He mightn't have any of the symptoms, which we know, was, which is what had happened in a lot of the other meat plants. It's only when a case broke out in a meat plant and then they went in and they tested uh, everyone. A lot of the workers were 
quite shocked to be told that they had COVID-19 because none of them had any symptoms and went on to recover from COVID-19 without having any symptoms. So I suppose that's what this listener is fearful of. If they have family members that are in any way vulnerable from a health point of view, just fearful you know, that they're, please God that there's absolutely no COVID-19 at the particular meat plant where her son works. But you can understand why people would be nervous and why she's made the decision not to go and visit any other family members in order to protect the other fam, fam, family members. But she's worried about her son as well, which is understandable. So we've sent an email to the uh, Department of Agriculture just to find out because... I know with the nursing homes, when we started seeing clusters in nursing homes, that's when the decision was made to blanket test and go into every single nursing home in the country and test everyone. And there's been terrific good news stories out of that in that many nursing homes had absolutely zero COVID-19 cases and I would have friends of mine who work in nursing homes who are very, very proud of the fact that they've kept COVID-19 out of their nursing homes and that's not to take away from nursing homes that ended up having COVID-19 positive cases but the decision was made because of the amount of clusters in nursing homes to to check everyone and they've moved on to residential uh, settings and they're also prisons. I think they've all been done now at at this stage. So I suppose what this listener is worried about, if we're now and have been and know that there are clusters of cases that meet plants, are they going to make a decision and will they make a decision about doing blanket testing so that every single meat factory will be checked. So as I say, we've sent off to the Department of Agriculture to try to get clarity on that. It's on social distancing and says, morning Patricia, if the social distancing is reduced from two metres to one metres, I think it will be crazy, particularly in the case of supermarkets. Social distancing might as well be removed altogether if they reduce it to one metre as people will literally stand too close behind one another. All these businesses that are looking for the one metre social distancing should be ashamed as money seems to be coming before people and people's health and especially the staff and the customer safety and at the end of the day their lives. I certainly would not feel comfortable in shops if they reduced the two metre rule to one metre rule. Thank you for that. And another listener says, Hi Patricia, can when, can you go to any town to do your shopping or do you have to go to your nearest town? I live in the countryside so no matter where I need to go shopping I'm going to have to travel. Uh, do I have to travel to the nearest big town? I think in the spirit of the guidelines that's what they recommend. I mean they would recommend that if you there was a supermarket a mile, oh, a big supermarket a mile away from you where you could get everything. I think in the spirit of the guidelines they would suggest that you would travel there, that you wouldn't go say 10 miles because there's another supermarket that you prefer to shop in. Uh, I think in, in the spirit of which it's intended but if you were stopped by the Gardaí you could explain that you're going to a particular supermarket. We, I mean back when there was a lot of checkpoints around we had a listener who was turned around because she had passed, uh, she had actually left the town where she lives to go to another town uh, because she wanted to go to a different supermarket and the guard the, the guard that stopped her that day said you have a big supermarket in your own town go back to your own town and shop there but I heard of others who were stopped by members of the guard that she called her and said they were going for particular, for particular branded goods so there was a particular brand, supermarket that they wanted to go to so I mean uh, but in, in the spirit of which the guidelines are intended yeah we we Stay within your five kilometres. If you live in the countryside and need to shop and go beyond that, that's fine. But it's to to just go out for essential services and to stay at home. They're still very much on this stay at home. So travel, 
keep the travel to as close to home as possible would be what is recommended. But yes, if you're asking, can you go to a different supermarket to get items because you can't get them in in the, the nearest one? Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to be talking about cyclists actually a little bit later on. But, but I mentioned it when I was teeing it up with Simon. And the minute you mentioned cyclists and being careful about cyclists and there's more cyclists and more joggers and runners out on the road. So you do need to be uh, extra careful. A listener says, hi, Patricia. Well, the cyclists are back. You know, straight away, this is someone that's not a fan of cycling. Holding up traffic again and their backsides huddled together like bees in a hive. Two metres social distancing is a joke with them, says this texture. However, if we, in the car, tried to pass them out, we'd be lucky to have one or two feet between the car and them. Again, it seems to be cyclists are ruling the world. We'll talk about it later on in the programme. Your thoughts welcome though. 1850 And thank you to a listener, says Patricia. Can you let us know what happened with your tree? Uh, and this is for anyone who didn't, who may have heard me yesterday when I was talking with Simon. I was talking about what had happened over the weekend and our beautiful, huge, big laburnum tree, which was planted 16 years ago, blew over in the high winds on Friday afternoon. Now, it, is, it hasn't blown down. It's blown over. It's kind of at a 45 degree angle. And as I was explaining yesterday, it's in full bloom. I mean, laburnums are those trees with the big yellow hangy down flowers uh, on them. And they are magnificent in the month of May. And as I as I was explaining yesterday, the reason that this, this tree holds great sentimental value because it's Marcia's christening tree. It was planted on the day of her christening and it Blooms and her christening happened to coincide with her birthday, so it's so we take photographs of her at the tree on her birthday, and I've, I've had stunning photographs over the years of her growing and the tree growing. So it would break my heart to lose it. I can tell you, I don't have an update because the tree expert is arriving today to assess, assess the said damage to the laburnum tree and to see can it be uh, saved. So the prayers and the novenas are still being said in the hope that my beautiful laburnum tree and Marsh's laburnum tree can be saved. I will keep you updated. Watch this space. 1850-333-103 Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court Today on C103 With Mallow College Now enrolling for courses in September Plan your future education See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie It's time to Due to COVID-19, cocooning is advised for all people over 70 years old. If a family member or friend is cocooning, here's some helpful advice. They should stay home and avoid face-to-face contact. Keep in touch by phone or online. Stay mobile by moving as much as possible. Go for a short walk while maintaining strict social distancing. Ask others to get shopping or medicine. Use the phone to contact their GP or other services. And remember, no visitors except for essential carers. It's time to stay at home. Stay home. This message is supported by Home Instead Senior Care. Their staff are fully equipped to ensure your loved one's safety in their own homes. See homeinstead.ie. For COVID-19 updates and information, stay listening to C103. Hair salons and barbershops are attempting to persuade the government to allow them to reopen before the July 20th date, which was fixed in the roadmap for reopening the economy. Daniela Kennedy is the incoming president of the uh, of the Irish Hairdressers Federation. And uh, Daniela joins me. Good morning to you, Daniela. Good 
Good morning. Uh, you're, you're welcome to the programme. Were, were you and your members bitterly disappointed when the July date was announced a few weeks ago? We were. We were. Um, you know, based on kind of the precedent set in the countries that are maybe a couple of weeks ahead of us in terms of like going through the whole COVID situation, um, there was a good precedent there for reopening after six to eight weeks. Um, if we stay closed until July 20th, it will be closed 18 weeks. Wow. So it's, it's far in excess of what has happened in a, in a lot of the countries that have gone before us. Um, so we were very disappointed. And actually, out of interest, have you looked to see how other countries are getting on with the hairdress, the hair salons opened? Yeah, so the Irish Hairdressers Federation, we would be part of a European and then part of a, a world body as well. And um, so we would share information with each other, you know, what's going on in each country. Um, it's working quite well in other countries, um, like many industries. They have to adapt in order to reopen. And um, we kind of feel the salon industry is one of the industries that's better suited to adapting. Um, We're already very sanitary environment. We're set up for contact tracing. Um, So we have developed a set of recommendations for our industry on how it can operate within the government return to work safety protocols. And then with that advice, we're confident we can kind of guide the industry through a safe opening in phase three. OK, you mentioned those re- the recommendations and you've put this yeah. document together. There's over uh, 100 recommendations to keep salons uh, safe. Can you outline some of what the recommendations are? Yeah, so uh, some of the recommendations are the things we're, we're already used to as part of our daily life, which is your sanitizer upon entry and exit and um, be recommending removal your communal items, so your magazines and books will be temporarily removed from salons. But, you know, a client can always bring their own magazine or book with them, so there is a solution there. Okay. Um, full sanitisation of the work unit after each client. Um, screen clients prior to their visit. Again, you're probably aware most salons would send a reminder, text or phone call before their visit, so yeah. we're very well equipped to include a short few screening questions in with that reminder. So what, asking people, have they any symptoms? Have they been with anyone who's at COVID-19? Those kind of questions? Exactly, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and the contact yeah. tracing is an interesting one because, of course, if, God forbid, somebody ended up with, uh, there was a COVID-19 positive case in, in a salon, you instantly would know who'd been in the salon for the last exactly. for that day and the yeah yeah exactly so if you go if you go into your supermarket or your you know your woodies and or wherever and you're in touch with people you know it's very hard to have you know you can't have a contact tracing system in place we have all our clients details we can control numbers in our buildings very easily and we can contact everyone that has been in the building if there is any issues and it would all be as it always is by appointment only there's very few walk-ins now into a into a hair salon Funnily enough, I own a walk-in salon myself. Do you? We will be, we will be switching um, to appointments only uh, when we reopen because it is important that we, you know, control numbers in the building. Um, so it's a very easy solution for us that will temporarily switch. And would, would the recommendations you're talking about, will they suit Daniela all, all size salons? I mean, some are very large. Some of the ones in, in the middle of Cork City and some of our, our larger towns, very big salons. But then you've got very small salons as well. Yeah, so we represent over 400 salon owners. Um, so broad, it's very broad range of salon owners. You have your very large salon owners, that with very large premises and 
you have your small salon owners as well. Even our committee is also made up of large and small salon owners. So we're very well aware of, you know, the issues that can arise. Um, my, I myself, I own one small salon and I own one large salon. So, you know, that is at the forefront that these recommendations are very workable for industry um, and with minimal cost to the industry as well. Will prices, Daniela, have to increase when you're open because of there? I mean, there will be increased uh, costs uh, when you do reopen. Would, will we all expect to pay more to get our hairs done? There will be increased costs. Um, so we would expect that most salons will temporarily have to increase some prices or maybe add a small fee onto every service. Um, but there isn't a set answer. You know, some salons maybe are able to absorb the costs. Um, but not everyone is going to be able to. Unfortunately, the hair industry, it's had a very tough few years. We had like a VAT increase. We had the abolishment of trainee pay rates last year. So we are on the back of a couple of tough years in the industry. Um, so I think overall, a lot of them are going to have to temporarily increase their prices because they just wouldn't be financially viable otherwise. Are you aware of much work going on in, in the black market when it comes to hairdressing? It, look, it, it seems to be it is going on, um, which is why for us it's more important that we get moved forward to phase three. Like people want their hair done, um, we want to get back to work. Um, we believe, you know, a salon is a much more sanitary environment than someone maybe going to a couple of people's houses during the day. Um, we can have procedures in place. And obviously then you have your mental health benefits of getting your hair done. And that's why I suppose people maybe are looking to the black market to get their hair done because people want to feel good. We've all been at home now for months. We're feeling down. We want that little bit of normality back in our lives. Yeah. Uh, have you been approached, by the way, by any of your customers? Because we've heard of some of uh, the core hairdressers who have been put under pressure by some of their clients. Yeah, there, there is a lot of pressure out there for for salons and stylists. And yeah, I, I have, we've had it too. Um, but I suppose the only counter we can do to that is try as hard as we can to get the industry back open. Um, stylists and clients, they do have a relationship. Um, you know, like with your doctor, you tend to have a relationship there. You go into the salon, you talk, you come out feeling good. So people people like getting their hair done. Mm. Uh, people are missing it. People are, we, only yesterday we did a, a kind of a asking listeners what do they most want to reopen and what were they most missing and the amount of people that said yeah. the hairdressers. <laughs> people can't wait. Which brings me to my next question, Daniela. How difficult is it going to be get, to get an appointment when you do reopen? We're going to be very busy when we open initially. Um, but most salon owners I'm talking to, they're looking at extending hours okay. for the first few weeks. A lot of them, they're looking at splitting their team shifts and, you know, do nine to nines for the first couple of weeks to get everyone looked after. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of looking, you're talking about 30% increase in Oakland hours. So we should be able to get through everyone as quickly as possible. Okay, so to, for people don't panic. Somebody says, uh, could you uh, ask your uh, your guest, our guest is, da- is Daniela Kennedy, who's with the uh, Irish Hairdressers Federation. Um, are the recommendations that you're talking about, uh, is it just hair salons the listener wants to know or does it apply to beauty salons as well? We're an organisation for hair salons. Now, the Irish Spa Association have some very, very good guidelines out 
for the beauty industry um, and that's on their website you can download it and they're very comprehensive they're very good but they're the same they're the same as the hairdressers aren't they the 20th of July at the moment they're the 20th of July um, and they're also hoping to get brought forward to phase three for a lot of the same the same reasons reasons as the hair industry the sanitisation etc okay so where were you at with the recommendations and trying to persuade the government Um, we're hoping to get some engagement later this week. Um, we have a couple of meetings lined up, all going well. Um, we should be able to release our guidelines to the industry next week. Okay. All right. It's one to we'll all keep a close eye on because so many of us want the hairdressers back up and running for sure. Listen, uh, Daniela, thank you for joining us and uh, um, uh, good luck with it. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Daniela Kennedy there, incoming president of the Irish uh, Hairdressing Federation. Uh, and, you know, I know there are a number of people just can't wait for the hairdressers to open. There are others thinking it, it shouldn't be about hairdressers at all, including somebody. Pat says, uh, Patricia, re hairdressers opening. My son can't get a physio appointment after a fracture. So priorities, please, before beauty. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. The Department of Rural and Community Development has launched a plan called Community Call to support the work of the people who are ensuring that the most vulnerable in our community are kept safe and well. Each local council has established a community response forum to coordinate COVID-19-related community supports. As part of this, each local authority has established a helpline that vulnerable people can phone if they are looking for basic services such as delivery of food or meals or transport for essential trips. If you want to volunteer, you can register with your your local volunteer centre or sign up online at www.i-vol.ie. Some volunteer roles will be directly related to the COVID-19 outbreak, while others may be related to helping community organisations to keep normal services running. Stay safe and stay up to date with all COVID-19 information at c103.ie. Yesterday when we were asking uh, listeners what they most missed during lockdown and what part of business and society they most wanted to reopen, a lot of people said mass and express how much they're missing it. Well, the Association of Catholic Priests is worried about reopening up for religious services too soon. And joining me is Father Tim uh, Hazelwood. Good morning to you, Father Tim. Now, many churches opened last Monday week for private prayer. How is that going? <laughs> That's a very good question because um, they were given very strict guidelines. Um, and that was the purpose of the guidelines. And, and I suppose all the medical people, the experts, tell us the kind of things to avoid, like touching surfaces uh, and, you know, deep cleaning and all this kind of stuff. And you know, I'll just give the example of in my own parish, our pastoral council, we decided that we are open for a few hours and we have volunteers. So we open for twice a week for three hours and we have very restricted places where people can sit only and they do not touch surfaces. Now, it has alarmed me to see that some churches just open the door and and even didn't open the doors. You had to put yeah. your hand on handles, and there's lighters that you touch. And like this is the medical evidence that says that 
these are the danger points. And what we found in our church was that it was the over 70s who are coming to the church, the people who are most at risk. So I think, you see, there's a lot of pressure on priests at the moment. There's, there's a pressure group out there who are pushing and pushing for churches to reopen. For us to disregard what is medical and scientific fact that large gatherings are lethal. 10% of the, the, the bigger outbreaks came from funerals, weddings. That's a fact when people are together with that high emotion. And so I think we need to be careful. It, it's, this pandemic isn't gone. It's only half time. And uh, like our motivation, me is, and the association, what we're saying is that it's the care of the most vulnerable should be at the, the heart of why we do things. So what's I our mean, a, 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 at the moment, we are looking at, what, July 20th? July 20th, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and I, we, I saw the Iona Institute saying that, you know, Ireland risks being one of the last countries in Europe to restore uh, public worship. But listening to you this morning, Father Tim, it's, you're saying public health advice has to come first. Has to come first. But, like, I, I question, like, it, it comes back to, like, somebody from the Iona Institute wrote an article lately and they compared us to tattoo artists who are pressurising for their businesses to open. We're not your, your phone line, your phone line is breaking up a little bit. If you can just move uh, ever, ever so slightly, uh, yeah, yeah, you're certainly not tattoo artists. No, and we need our motivation needs to be t- the care and protection of the people who come and put their, their, themselves in our care in the church. You know, and um, and that's where funerals are very difficult because it's proven that with high emotion uh, restrictions really don't don't um, they go out the door our nature is to touch and to hug and that's what you want to do when somebody dies and people are in mourning and you know um, and likewise I think Sunday worship Sunday mass is a huge loss to everybody you know I think the, um, it's it gave us a focus in our week people came together and I think it shows what the Mass means to people as well, the fact that we don't have it at present in the form that we had it. You mentioned funerals. I only spoke last week with the Irish Hospice Foundation calling on the government to increase the numbers allowed to attend. That figure of 10 seems a very low number to allow, particularly for direct family members to attend. Yes, I think it is. It's very difficult. I had one particular funeral now where there was no family member because they were cocooning. Oh. And this man was, a, no, we had six from the community. He was the most involved and he was in everything. And it was so sad. But I think people have been very inventive in, in the way that they stand and people are with people. And I think undertakers have been, you know, like they allow maybe for a specific time and come to the home. Um but it's, it's very difficult. There's no easy solution. But like the bottom line is that it's that gatherings like that, that, um, that the danger is absolutely the huge danger. Uh, and I suppose the argument is we, we, we're going to get to a stage where we have to learn to live with this virus. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, and that's changing our habits. And I can see why they're asking. I've read a few of this. Because we were putting out this statement, I did some, well, we read some kind of scientific research. Like the, the virus has been with us now for a few months. So they have followed cases. 
and they have found that individuals infected droves of people by simple, they didn't mean it. It was just by singing in a choir, going to a birthday party, you know, not knowing they were asymptomatic themselves, but it led to the deaths of people. So if, if, if you read some of the scientific papers that have been, have been written, that caution, I think, should be number one. I think the, the government are right to be cautious. And it's not about selling papers, which I think the Ione Institute are on. I think there's a financial reason for pushing an agenda. And I think we should not put finance before the safety of our congregation, especially the most vulnerable. Uh, just out of interest, somebody says, uh, where can you get holy water with the churches closed? Somebody's running out of holy water. Well, no, in our church, we have our holy water uh, container. And if you come, if people come up, they, they give it some and the holy water is given. They don't have to touch anything. Bring a little container with them. And I'm sure in, in, in the churches, holy water is available. But yeah. our holy water fonts where you put your hands in. They're all, They're all empty, yeah. And, empty. and I know the last time we did something on holy water, we had a load of different churches saying they did little bottles outside and everything. They, they, uh, some people were being very inventive uh, around That's the holy water. Josephine in the city, though, says, uh, I think a lot more could be done when it comes to reopening of churches. I think the churches should just be, should reopen and let the Lord protect us. President Trump spoke up for his people when it came to churches, but our president hasn't come out and said uh, anything. I think our churches should be opened earlier. How do you how do you how do you answer that the Lord I, I, the Lord will protect us? Well, I think the Lord is protecting us by sending us people who are wise and people of wisdom, like the scientists. They're telling us this is what we should do, and I think the Lord is, is informing them. The Lord gives us wisdom. That's a great you know, answer. I, yeah, and I think sometimes our gut takes over. Like I, I feel sorry for a lot of priests because our role has become like one guy jokingly said to me. He said, our frontline workers, they're great. And where are ye, ye locked the church? Now, he was joking and walked away. But it, 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 it hurts because we want to do our job. But now is the time not to do it. You know, to do it in ways of support and encouragement and things like that. I know some of the lads, they, they're opening churches. Some of them are saying mass now when they shouldn't. That's still happening. I know, and and we've heard a priest being put under huge uh, pressure. Anne is pointing out that the masses online are, are really good, but she really misses actually receiving yeah. Holy Communion. And yeah, I know I for for a number of people, that's. And for me, like a mass is about communion. It's about people being with people and sharing with people, not looking at a camera. Yeah, you know, it's, but but yeah. priests, but you've been a lot of priests are doing really well online. They've really adapted. Yeah, I don't like it. Do you not? <laughs> I don't. I don't like it at all because I like. I, someone spoke about um, they're a mass um, tourist. Like they hop from one to the other, it's like flicking. It's like Netflix going from one to the other. Yeah, and it, it's going back to the old image of church as well, which I don't like. It's the priest there on his own. Mm. Like that's we're going backwards. There's no no women. There's you know it's. I just don't like it. There's something very lonely about it, I have to say, but yeah. I, I do think some are, are using their imagination and, and they're trying. People are trying. And I yes, suppose yeah, yeah. that's, that's the most, the most we, we can hope we for. Can okay. Yeah. Listen, and how are you doing yourself? Yeah, I'm doing fine. Okay. Plenty walking. And, Good. Well, again, I, I think this has been a great opportunity as well because like, what is our image of God? Like for me, I walk in a wood in, in Killa just near my house. It's very close and I... An orchestra every morning. Yeah, it's fantastic. It is absolutely, yeah. and like when you experience that 
closeness of God, you want to celebrate it. Like, and, I, and I think it's brought people back. I see families coming together and, you know, going walking and cycling. And I think it's, and nature is so beautiful at the moment. It is. It is. Listen, continue to enjoy. We'll talk okay. again, Father Tim. Thank you for that. Thank and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Bye bye. That is uh, Father Tim Hazelwood, who's a member of the Association of Catholic uh, Priests, and he is based in Killa. 1850 333 103. A break in news at 11 on the way. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Before heading out to the shops, you should plan ahead. The Irish Global Health Network has advised that you should reduce the frequency of your shopping trips. So think, do you need to go shopping today? Avoid shopping in groups, and where possible, you should avoid taking your children with you. Take your own shopping bags, and if possible, put items directly into the bags and avoid contact with baskets or trolleys. If using a basket or trolley to shop, sanitize its handle. It is not recommended that you wear disposable gloves, as they can give you a false sense of security. Try to use your non dominant hand to pick goods up and avoid touching your mouth, nose or eyes. And remember, retail staff are working in extremely challenging circumstances, so let's treat them with respect. Stay safe and stay up to date with all COVID-19 information at c103.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts and comments coming in about churches and the push for churches to reopen and some people absolutely missing uh, being able to go to Mass on a Sunday and while churches have been really good at adapting and doing it virtually online even Father Tim himself admitted that he doesn't like the online Masses there's nothing like that community of everybody together inside in a church and obviously the knock-on is the funerals and it's just absolutely heartbreaking uh, to see what is happening at some of the funerals in this country uh, from a country where we celebrate deaths maybe in some ways we, we celebrate the life of the person that we've lost but we turn out in huge numbers to funerals somebody says uh, just to say I hope to God that we don't turn out like the English when it comes to funerals in England they traditionally have much smaller funerals than we have in this country we need to get back to the way we were no one can live like this forever says a uh, texter and then Thomas in North Cork says for uh, a certain generation everybody respected the church whereas now uh, Thomas feels that there's no respect. That's why we've got gangs fighting around the city. You know, that group that we talk about, those young people we were speaking about yesterday. If we missed a good Friday ceremony, says, uh, says Thomas, when we were that age, we would be afraid. But now there's absolutely no fear left in anyone. And Larry says, our local church is open on Saturday and Sunday for an hour each day. But if they allowed the churches to be open all day, every day, I feel it would be safer, says Larry, as people wouldn't all congregate for that one hour a day. There's a good system in place, though, in the churches with hand sanitizers and a one-way system, one way in, one way out. Larry can't understand why the churches are not open for more than just one hour a day. Alice is in Cove and she joins me. Uh, good morning to you, Alice. Uh, good morning. Alice, you were making an interesting point that supermarkets are open to why not churches? Exactly, exactly. It's not rocket science, is it? So you feel what, with social distancing? Uh, of course, every other place can do it. I think it's the big excuse with the bishops and the priests that, I mean, I live up the road from the cathedral and it's massive inside. I'm sure you know Cove Cathedral. I do indeed. I do indeed. So where's the problem in this? This church should be open, this cathedral should, be, should have been opened from the beginning. I mean, hopefully, maybe a couple of weeks it could be closed until they work out. But it's not rocket science, is it? 
Well, I think the argument that the bishops and the priests have used, uh, OK, if you if you leave a large church like that to be opened, who's going to go in and do the deep cleaning? The argument would be if, God forbid, I went in and I had COVID-19 and I end up leaving droplets on a seat, a pew, whatever, and then you come in after me to say a few prayers and you happen to well, kneel down where I've been. Well, well, that's the same as in a supermarket then. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We go into supermarkets, we have our... Uh, hand disinfect we and then when we're coming out we do the same and we do we'll keep our distance and if we have to wear a mouth covering we do it's it's not at the end of the day it's your faith this 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 country is it's a pagan country it's gone a pagan country i i lived in london for well i lived over in london well england for 40 years yeah the last 15 i lived in london and i can tell you every sunday the, the city of London used to be empty. Everybody goes home, I thought, to, you know, back to there in the country. And every Sunday morning, we have a church, and it was called St. Mary's of Moorfield. And every Sunday, it was full up. Every holy day, it was full up. So, and the church is here now. I come, I come from Limerick, and we have a church there. The church is closed because there's nobody going to Mass. Yeah, I mean, before COVID-19, there was a huge... I mean, exactly. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the Irish people have lost their faith. And I know because of a lot of things, but to and me, it's like I know to put all the abuse with the priests and everything like that. But, you know, they have to face a man up there. And are you missing mass? Yes, yeah. I'm not, don't, don't get me wrong now. I'm not one of these... God Almighty, people are yeah. holy, 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 holy Joes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Holy those people. Yeah, but I do firmly believe in my faith, and that um, a lot of people should go back to work or go back to church. But and it is the same, which I thought was really, well, I think, but it's really bad since I came back uh, five years ago. Is that people get their kids now to get first communion and confirmation just for the day? There's no meaning of the sacrament. And I think 99% of people will agree with me. People are just doing it, oh, how good they look, and look at my daughter, and look, she's having this, and my son is having that. And to me, the, the, the meaning of the sacrament is gone out. They, they don't believe in the sacraments anymore. It's all about the day out. Yeah, when I brought my kids, they got their first communion, confirmation, and, you know, I made, made them, you know, like a coat mats and everything. And that's the way I was brought up. So... To me, it's, the faith is, is disappearing. And I don't know whether I can say it or not, but I don't know if you ever heard of Christine Gallagher. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the, I, the, the, she is the prayer house. Yes, yeah. yeah. She's a visionary. Yeah. And I totally believe everything, that all the messages she's been given, and I know what was put in the papers, what the media put in there about 10, 15 years ago. I read it, and I totally first thing I said to myself, no, I don't believe it. Because I don't believe anything in the papers or the media, because the media can have false reporting, and then it just they'll just tell you what you want to hear. Okay. They'll print what you want to hear. That's it. Okay. That's so, but you, your message to the bishop is open up the church. Yeah. Yeah. Open up yeah. the church. Okay. There are priests. There are get the bishops. It's not rocket science. It's an excuse to keep the churches closed. And I, I don't know why. I just can't think why. When everything else, restaurants are opening up and coffee shops mostly to take away but it is I know the economy has to come back in that but people out there need their faith as well they need their masses they need 
just after Minister. And it's, go, it's going to be one of the last, it's, it's uh, on the roadmap at the moment, it's July the 20th before before uh, a mass, can, well, a I, public I like mass. To, I, I would like to take up, I know I'm going on a bit now, but I would like to bring out a protest and see how many people will protest and keep a distance and everything and you have to do something, so somebody has to do something because the bishops and the priests are doing nothing. Okay, Alice, we leave it okay. there. Thank you for that. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. Have a, have a good day. That's Alice in uh, Cove. Noreen was on to say that uh, Father, Father Martin Cohan in Carrick Navarre, he's doing Mass online, doing an absolutely great job. So well done to all the priests who are saying Mass online. It is a great service. And I know we got a lovely email in, and I know John Paul is working on it, from uh, a priest who seems to be going a little bit above and beyond. He's doing evening prayer and evening reflection. He's even singing a few songs some of the priests are really trying to do their best and trying to adapt to this virtual world in which we now live Mary's in Kinsale and she says everybody's online now I have mass every morning from the friary in Kinsale Uh, I know and I'm at home and I know I won't pick up the virus so I feel safe and I still Mary in Kinsale still feels that she's attending mass and I think that's one of the things that Father Tim bless his heart when he was because he's against pushing to reopen the churches uh, to work Early, you know, and he's just talking about the, the vulnerable people, the elderly people, and they are the ones most at risk if you get a large gathering together inside in a church. And if somebody arrives in and happens to have be COVID-19 positive and they don't deliberately go into the church with COVID-19, they don't realise that they have these symptoms and the danger is that they can pass it on to so many people. And if it's older people... Uh, you know, we could end up with so many losing so many of them. And, and, you know, that's and I know the cocooning is really getting to a lot of the older people, but it was brought in. It's brought in to protect the older people. That's what we want, we want to do. We're trying to protect and mind uh, the older people. Um, hi, this is by text. Personally, I love the mass online. Most people have lost their faith. They just worship differently. Tell that lady not uh, to judge us at all. And what's and only time will tell when the churches do reopen and when Mass is back up and running. It'll be very interesting to take a look at the numbers of people that will be in the church post-COVID-19 because certainly looking at the statistics of the number of people that are tuning in online to watch Mass, I mean, all of the priests are saying that they're just amazed at the numbers of people that are logging on even every day because some of the priests say Mass uh, every day not just on a Sunday and there's big big numbers of people logging on way bigger than the numbers that would actually turn up in the church so it'll be really interesting to look at and no doubt the Catholic Church themselves I'm assuming will will try to do some surveys on it uh, to try to work out are do people prefer this whole you know living in a in a virtual world we have this whole argument now about people working from home and they prefer to work from home Will it be a case that going forward we will end up in the situation where people will be allowed when churches are open rather than go to Mass that they will be fulfilling the requirements by sitting at home in their kitchen, sitting room in their bedroom and watching a Mass online? And I'm wondering, you know, because during a pandemic, certainly during the pandemic, people are doing a lot of reflecting on their lives. I mean, you're hearing of people who are taking up new hobbies and things and taking up, you know, getting fit and active and, and all of that. But you're hearing of people who are looking at their lives and starting to question the way that they're living their lives. And some 
for some, that will mean returning to the faith or finding a new faith. So, you know, out of this awful pandemic we are living through, you would hope, I mean, it's my great hope that the world, the, the world after COVID-19 will be a better world, a kinder world and a better world uh, to live in. And maybe for some that will mean returning to an old faith or indeed finding a new faith. And only time uh, is going to tell. 1850-333-103. And there's a text in there from another listener to say, uh, Patricia, I'm wondering, is there any site that you can access online to find out the numbers that are COVID positive in any particular area? I did find a site, but it only mentioned a date back in April. I feel people might be might be so fearful of going out, etc., if they had more accurate information. I'm also aware that others might take this as a reason to congregate more if they felt an area didn't have any uh, COVID-19 cases. I think that's one of the reasons why they, when they give figures, even when Dr Tony Hoolan gives the figures every day, he'll say in the east of the country, he'll say in the south of the country. I did see over the weekend somebody put up a map of Ireland. Now it didn't give actual figures, it was done on a kind of a graph where it showed areas that had the most COVID-19 cases. I think it was for the previous 24 hours the most that had tested positive and then the numbers of people that were waiting on test results. I mean, it was just, the the graph was massive over Dublin. There was a small amount over Cork and various other places around the country, but it was just on a geographical uh, spread. They've, they've, the powers that be and Neffet have decided that they're never for whatever reason they're never going to give that accurate information of where the different cases are. thought it was interesting Hall Martin on the late late he reckons that there should be more detail given out in the clusters we should get details of where clusters are if there was a, a cluster in Bohabri if there was a cluster in Bantry if there was a cluster in Baltimore that people would would find out. Now it would work both ways. Would it make people more fearful Would if people found out that in their town there was a cluster of cases would it stop people going out and then if you found out that there wasn't there was little or no COVID-19 in your area would as this listener say would it cause people oh we're all safe to go out in, in town and people would give up on the social distancing I'm assuming that that's the thought pattern behind it and I know there's this GDPR it's protecting people and that's one of the reasons that they don't give a lot of information as to exactly where uh, the different cases are. 1850 we are going to be talking talking about uh, cycling a little bit later on. Somebody on cycling says, I came uh, around a bend on my way home from town one Sunday afternoon and they're coming against me on their bikes. Two people cycling, guess what? On the wrong side of the road. When I pointed this out to them, that you're on the wrong side of the road, I got verbally abused. I even got the fist and a finger salute from one very, very aggressive aggressive man. He really should be using his finger to turn the pages of the Rules of the Road for Cyclists booklet. C103 Jobs. Charleville plant hire recruiting for a new lorry driver. You need to have a minimum of C1 driving licence. A general operative wanted for part-time work. It's power washing and painting. It's in the mid-cork area. While a childminder is wanted four days per week, it's for a six-month-old, it's in the Conakilty Rathbury area. And a childminder is also wanted in the Mallow Donnerail area two days per week for two girls. One is nine months and the other is a three-year-old. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie It's important to you to know where your food comes from 
Isn't it just as important to know where your information comes from? It's not always easy to verify what you see, read or hear. But now there's help. Visit www.bemediasmart.ie Stop. Think. Check. Be Media Smart. Brought to you by Media Literacy Ireland. Supported by your local radio station. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now with businesses around the country struggling in the current climate, many business owners are coming up with creative ideas to keep themselves operational. Nine White Deer, the brewery based in Ballyvorney, have changed their business model and their managing director, Gordon Lucy, uh, joins me to fill us in. Good morning to you, Gordon. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, How are you? I'm, well, I'm very well. Now, when COVID-19 arrived, how was your business affected? Oh, it was... The timing couldn't actually have been worse. So, like, we'd gone through a brand refresh over the winter, which is an expensive operation to do, but needs to be done every couple of years. And then from January, middle of January, we were building up stock of bottles and kegs ready for the season to start, which is traditionally St. Patrick's Day. And we didn't even get to that point, as you know, a couple of days before, everything was just switched off. Just like a switch, nothing left. Um, So we, uh, I suppose we stopped everything and we reached out to um, our local um, state bodies, um, like Udras Nagelta, Skills Net Ireland and Board Bia. And in fairness, they came up with great advice and things to help, like, strategic accounting and cash management and um, and in particular SkillsNet, they gave us mentoring on a one-to-one with um, some experts and that really helped us to, to take a step back from our business and see what resources we have and what we can do with what we have and upskilling the people we have and did you, change things around. Did you have to lay off staff? We initially, did, we yeah. did we did, and like we're back up to five. So there's nine of us here. Um, we're back up to five, and we're we're building up again slowly. Well we're done. kind of waiting well for the. But that the was, I know, for any business owner, that's a very difficult decision to have to lay staff off. It was probably the the hardest thing I've had to do um, because you, I suppose, it's it's the only it's the only thing a business ever has that increases in value. Um, is your staff. Um, the longer they're with you, the the more they know the business, the better they are um, to help you. And it, it's a family, really. Like, And you're, you have to go out and tell them, sorry, lads, um, I, I have nothing for you. Um, That's tough. But the main That's thing tough. is we need, it to, we need it to protect the business so that we have jobs to come back. And yeah. I think that strategy worked. And now we, we still have the business. Brilliant. And we're starting to build up again. But who, we, we've changed it. Who came up with the idea to produce the sanitizer? Well, it kind of started that we saw out there that people with the worry and confusion about people didn't know about sanitizing requirements and kind of at home and in, for personnel like hands and stuff. And it's what we do every single day. So the first thing we did, we've surface sanitizer, we make it fresh every day. And we just put a drum out the back with a pump in it, instructions, and people come and take what you want. Day or night, it's there all the time. Free? And then, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, the surface sanitizer is cheap to make, and okay. it's, it's just something we did just to help out locally as much as we could. Well and that kind of snowballed. Um, we had other people come in contact with us from paramedics to nursing homes, 
um, chemists and they were looking for hand sanitizer for alcohol, hand sanitizer. And I said, well, we have tanks. A lot of them now aren't in use at the moment. Um, what can we do? So we got onto revenue, our local revenue, which were very helpful in fairness to us, um, and the Department of Agriculture, because technically we'd be making a biocide with over 70% alcohol. Okay. Um, so you need to do it. You need to do it the right way, I suppose, um, so that you're not going to harm anyone or anything. Um, and yeah, we got up and running with it. So I suppose we saw the demand because there was just no availability. Every every bit of it that was in the country when we started was just was just grabbed up and same as toilet paper. People were hoarding um, hand sanitizers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so yeah, we got into production and got got making it and we had a long list of people that were waiting and were very relieved and like we just charged as minimal as we could for it obviously we have to buy the alcohol so we had to charge something for that um and are you selling that locally we are we are um we still have it now the demand has dropped off as supply has caught up but we're going to keep doing it because um it just wasn't nice to see um that many people in such dire need of something yeah. that we could produce. Well so done. We'll, we'll, we'll continue to keep it. And, so. and and through that then you were able to rehire back on some of the staff? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So like that brought us in some cash flow, um, which is the key to any small business and we needed to maintain that. And uh, we were looking at other ways and we were with our meetings, with, um, with our brewer, um, we were trying to figure out what else is out there. So people are still out there. They're still at home. Um, but our route to them has kind of changed or with the draft has switched off. So we set up our online shop um, and we have that up and running. How's that going? Brilliant. Really, really good. Yeah. Um, so for the first time, we're able to communicate directly with our consumers. So we do we do small things, but nice things like we'll, we'll, we'll throw in some random chocolate into the, the boxes. So it's a surprise. We don't say anything about it. So they open it and go, oh, God, isn't that nice? Fair play to them. Um, <laughs> and and, there's, and the, the one thing I've, I've noticed, you can see it online, mini bars yeah, are springing yeah. up in people's houses. And you, you've seen that there's an opening there for you. Absolutely. So... There's a couple of things that you just can't replace with um, bottles or cans, and that is draft beer at home. So we we were looking and looking, and we found a way to do it. Everything is miniaturized. So it's a, a mini cake, which is just 10 litres. Um, it fits in your fridge, and there's no hoses, there's no leads or gas, um, big bottles or anything. It's just so simple. Um, you get the equipment. We can get it picked up from your house, fill it, and return it to you. Um, we use a specialised courier who's dealing with alcohol all the time, so there's safeguards in there, so kids aren't getting hold of it or anything like that. Um, and it's grown huge success, so um, drafts out at home for barbecues for the summer. It's kind of where we see it, like um, with small groups of people, obviously in guidance with the government in HSE. Um, and... Yeah, there's some videos up on our Facebook page and how it goes and just how simple the whole thing is. And there's been good reaction from, from the customers, which is, yeah. which is terrific. Yeah, when yeah. when do you expect, though, to be back up and running? And Because, I mean, we know restaurants are due to open. Yeah. And then, I mean, pubs now at the moment, it's looking the, the 10th of August. But when would you expect to be back up and running? Where I suppose we're... We're kind of in a limbo at the moment, so we're still producing bottles for the off-trade, for off-licenses in supermarkets. Um, 
but our draft is still on hold. Like when they do open, it's so uncertain who is going to come back in, what are the numbers going to be like, what's the volume going to be like. Um, it's just complete uncharted territory. Um, so we have um, stock available and we're continuing, we're brewing again today. But it's, it's, I suppose it's small steps, which is what we've learned all the way through this pandemic is just nice and handy, small steps. We see how it goes and we develop from there rather than kind of dive headfirst into stuff. Um, like I used to say, the, thinking the big word for 2020 was going to be sustainability, but I firmly believe it's got work on right back to guaranteed Irish now, you know, local yeah. support and small businesses. It, the support just can't be underestimated and we really want to thank everyone who's done their bit and including media outlets like yourselves who continually push that message home. Well, you know, we're, we're all in this uh, together and I think, you know, I'm always banging on about shopping local, but I do think for us to get out of this and, and post-COVID-19, it's more important than ever. And I think during this crisis, you know, it's, it's you know, you guys doing things like leaving the, the, the surface sanitizer outside the door uh, free of charge. Like, that's just fantastic. And that's, you can only get that locally. That's it. It's just, that's it. Some, some international company doesn't really care too much about no. how you get on in your community. No, but no. everything is community. Okay. Every single thing. Okay. And we will survive and we will get through it. And it'll just be a different world on the other side. Yeah, and we will. We yeah. will look for the. Was it yesterday? Our first day with zero cases. Yeah. I mean that that is. We've come such a long way in the ten weeks um, from what we thought we were going to end up at looking at pictures of Italy, and now where we are, where you know we're doing our bit. We kind of get blasé about it, but we've achieved well. We deserve a pat on the back for ourselves, for all of us for getting this far. Okay, listen, stay safe, uh, Gordon, and thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Gordon uh, Lucy, who joins us from Nine White Deer, the brewery based in uh, Ballyvorney. And they're hanging in there, which is just uh, terrific. It's great to see some of those small businesses because God knows they won't all survive. They won't all survive. So anything that we can do to give a little push to to them, we're only too glad to do. Uh, 1850-333-103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text are at WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Nick Richards plays Cork's greatest hits for your workday on C103. Greatest hits from Rick Astley. I feel grateful. Gary Lightbody of Snow Patrol. Were you always called Snow Patrol? We were called Shrug, which is the worst name for a band ever. And Gary Barlow from Take That. It was fun to be coming up with something that had never been done before. Nothing on but the radio. Sunglasses, surely. No. Playing Cork's greatest hits while you work. Nick Richards. Weekdays from 1. C103. Now, over the weekend, Paul Byrne on Virgin Media News had the most inspirational story about an incredible little boy from Balancolic who was defying all the odds to raise money for charity. Alison Lynch is mum of seven, nearly eight-year-old uh, Oliver and uh, Alison joins me. Uh, good morning to you, Alison. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, I, I sug- I, I'm very well. I, the nearly eight is important at that age, isn't it? It is very important <laughs> for an accountant. Yeah. <laughs> now, the piece on, on, on TV was just truly uh, inspiring with every step he was taking. I was almost yeah. holding my breath. Uh, just explain to people who haven't seen it what, what Oliver is hoping to achieve. 
Um, well, we set him a challenge just to try and encourage him to keep moving around in these days with the, you know, lack of therapies and lack of motivation. Oliver struggles with his walking. So we set a challenge of um, him walking five um, five kilometres outside our front door up and down the, the road. So every day he does 100 metres if he can. So um, we did we were completed our first K yesterday so he's a thousand metres done Um, and he goes out and it can take him anywhere from some days it might take him half an hour some days it could take him 40-45 minutes up and down the road to keep keep walking and he has has a little walking frame that he He uses he has a walking frame yeah um, he can't walk without that and he also wears what they call a DMO suit, which is for all the words a really, really tight spanx. Um, it's a body suit, and within that, then he has a little bar um, down in between his legs to stop his legs from crossing because the muscles pull, and his legs automatically want to cross um, when he tries to to lift the foot. Um, so without those, he wouldn't be able to take a single step. So. And, and how tough a challenge is this? It's very hard for him. It's very hard. Um, it's it's very tiring, and his muscles tire so easily, so much even more. Um, they're more tired than what your eye muscles do. It takes a lot more effort to try and get the muscle to do what you, what it, what it should do. Um, so it takes a lot out of him. But he gets on with it. Um, he's tired doing it. Kind of the the second lap down the road. Um, he's struggles a little bit but he keeps going he doesn't stop and he keeps going till he gets to the end and then just takes a rest afterwards the legs would be a little bit like jelly all right for a while after it but after a bit of a rest then they come back to normal has he always had that determined spirit um he has yeah he has now he gives out about having to do his physio and <laughs> no nobody wants to be doing exercises yeah, yeah. everyone else is out running around playing football on the green or that you know so it's a chore you know it's not seen as fun so um we just you know said we try and he was he wanted to do the five couch to 5k his brother and sister had decided they'd do it around the green and he was upset that he couldn't do it um so we said you know come on we'll do our own version of it yeah and kevin came up with the idea then of setting the challenge for him and and t- just tell us a little bit about uh, Oliver. I mean, was it soon after his birth that you found out that he had cerebral palsy? Um, yeah, um, the, he's a twin, his brother Reuben. Um, they were born eight weeks early and um, through the course of the first couple of weeks, um, Oliver had a few scans that showed up some issues and then at the age of four weeks, he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Um, he was still in the neonatal unit in CUH at that stage. Um, and so it it just went from there. So we just had to see how he progressed and see how how he performed. It affects children differently, um, and that. So yeah, he's. Um, it was at an early age, in one respect, it was, it was easy. If we we were kind of, if we want to call us one of the lucky ones that we found out so early because we could get intervention in there straight away. Whereas some people mightn't realise there's an issue until the children get to the point where oh, they're not sitting up when yeah. they should be rolling over, and you know they're not meeting their milestones. And it's only at that point that you might start twigging mm, maybe something's not quite right. But we knew from day one more or less that no there was going to be issues there so we were able to work um, with it we joined in with Enable Ireland when he was eight months old and started his therapies along there so we've been with them ever since Is that at the at the Levana Centre? 
Yeah, that's in the. Um, it's in now out in um, Corraheen. Corraheen, yeah, yeah, yeah. The new um, building there yeah. last last Easter a year a year ago now. Um, so it's a new um, building out there. Um, plenty of space and stuff. Um, the Levana, there wasn't much space and was fairly run down. Um, so the new new building is absolutely fantastic. Brilliant, brilliant. But that's tough for you at that time. I mean, you're, you've you've got you've got Reuben and at home, and you've got a little baby who's obviously in hospital. Um, yeah, well, the two boys were in hospital together. They both spent the first month in hospital um, and they came home. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was a nightmare to be told that there was something up um, and that. But you just have to get on with it and you have to try and take everything in your stride. Uh, some days are good and some days are bad. And, um, you know, he's happy. He's, you know, he's healthy, you know. Okay, he has issues with his muscles and that and he has epilepsy in the background. But he's... He's well able, he goes to mainstream school and he laughs and he plays the jokes and he's well loved. So <laughs> that's all he needs. Brilliant. And do they, they're, they're both going to school. What school are they going to? They're going to the Gwail School you reared on in Ballincollig. Oh, and, and obviously no school at the moment. Are they are they missing school or are they just... No, they're not missing school. <laughs> We're just in the middle of doing some homework there and uh, this Moontor Alley here in this house isn't working yeah. at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean ever in the amount of parents it is tough isn't it this it is, it is it's very hard it's very hard it's and, and I think it's because we're seen as as mom and dad and that's we're just not teacher you know so I know they can do the stuff and they can do it so much better for the teacher and that and he has great support in his SNA Marna as well and um I'd be saying oh he won't do that and but if he was inside in the schoolroom, he'd be doing it no problem for them. But yeah. they're just playing tricks on, on me here. And what child wouldn't if they can get out of doing if school? They can get away with it. Listen, exactly. we think back, we'd all have done it ourselves, let's, would, be, yeah. let's yeah. be honest. But then, uh, in Able Iron, are all of your therapies, are they all suspended at the moment, all the physio? That's um, they are at the moment. Uh, we've started doing um, um, online physio sessions. Um, so that started there a fortnight ago. So we're doing another session tomorrow. So we, um, it's like a Zoom call. Yeah. And um, his, Denise's physio is on the other side of the screen and we've set up on the floor and we do the session on that. So that's great to have that contact with us. Um, ideally, yes, we'd all love to be in and, and keep our therapies going. We had just started a block of hydrotherapy, but unfortunately that was cancelled in the circumstances. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 hard and you just need to keep the motivation going to try and keep keep them moving and keep it keep the routine going you know yeah that's the, that is the, the hardest part and the hydrotherapy was it too soon to say how successful it was it was going for him or oh yeah we'd only just we'd only had just one or two yeah. sessions of it like they get a couple of, of weeks of it in the year so um, yeah, the hydrotherapy of, uh, is great for them for the, the you know it's a lovely heated pool um, and it just helps the muscles so much and then to do the exercises in the water itself um, so yeah a lot um, of people find it fantastic they do mm. they do yeah a lot of people are, are out getting the hot tubs and stuff like that now these days they can't be had um, but I know there's a lot of kids um with disabilities like Oliver's and they would have a hot tub in the back garden from that point of view to, to, to help with the, the muscles and the therapy. Oh, please God, it won't be too yeah. long till it's all back and everything's, no, everything's no, back up and running. Yeah. And yeah. I forgot to mention at the, at the outset this challenge that uh, Oliver has set himself. He's, he's, fund, he's raising money at the same time for charity. He is. Um, we said we'd, we, Kevin said, why not let's fundraise while we're at it and put it to 
Oliver's hard work to good use. So he is raising money for Dogs for the Disabled in Able Ireland and also CUH Charity as well. Um, so we've had contact from the mall and the sport has been great. Um, and the support from the, from the public has just been phenomenal. We never expected it to head the way it has. Um, and it's just, it's absolutely humbling. Um, How much has so he raised? He, um, I haven't looked at it today now, but I think he was at 22,000 oh. or something now was the last time. Um, yesterday, 22 and a half maybe or something. I can't remember now. Isn't that um, un- un- unreal? And, yeah. and you would, I mean, initially it was what you were hoping, uh, how much had you hoped he'd raise? Well, when we were setting the target, Kevin was saying to me, oh, what will we set the target? And I said, oh, God, you're set it as a thousand. I said, maybe you might get, <laughs> you might get well with that. And Kevin said, hmm, do you think? And so he set it at 5,000. And then we had that gathered within, before 48 hours, that was gathered and um, Kevin upped it to 10. Um, and then on Friday, Paul had us on the news and it just rocketed it um, and so it has just been flying in the door and um, people have been so generous so generous and um, so grateful um, to these um, worthwhile and, and they're very they're worthwhile charities they really are and it's a go, it's a GoFundMe page called um, I will walk 5,000 more <laughs> that's clever yeah. it's, it's really clever it's it's fantastic and Dogs for Disabled uh, does Oliver have one of the Dogs for the Disabled? No not, no. At, not at the moment he is on the on the, the list for one so it um, hopefully we'll soon enough now um, be chatting with them and see seeing if Oliver would be suitable for for um, a dog they have the therapy about dogs do numerous different activities um, they're not just a walking dog they yeah. can be companion dogs and, and just therapy dogs as well um, so yeah he's on the list yeah and they're a fantastic charity and they're solely run on donations yeah. there's no government support for them yeah. um, so they rely on all donations that come in the door um, and they do fantastic work and the, the dogs are only fab as well they're, yeah, they're great they're yeah. great they become part as much part of the family as the, as the kids are and how is Oliver reacting to to the to the reaction, how is he dealing with the reaction that he's getting? He takes it all in his stride. I mean, you tell him all the stories and all the messages that are coming in the door, and the big smile. And like when Kevin rang yesterday to say that we were on the front of the paper again, he was <laughs> like, "Me, I'm on it again." You know, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." So he he loves he loves the attention. He loves the attention. Like, um, um, and it's just it's spurring him on to keep going. You yeah. know, and mm. kind of I'm doing this now, so I'll have to keep going for everybody else. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. So, what's the plan for the for the eighth birthdays? It's it's two birthdays together. When when is it? It's this week, isn't it? It is. It's the seventh of June. Oh, seventh um, of June. Okay, yeah, next week. Seventh of June. So, any, any, um, uh, nothing major. No, we're yeah. in lockdown, so um, we'll have a bit of cake and and um, I suppose there'll be a few presents will be got. Don't you? Know. Um, and that yeah, be kind of a quiet one this year, but we'll celebrate ourselves here. Yeah, that's and, the way to do um, it. Yeah, we'll party then when we're all allowed. Then we can have a. A, a big, big a, a big hoolie, and by God, he'll deserve it at the end of all of this. It's it's fantastic. Listen, yeah. uh, well, well done, to Oliver. He's a determined little spirit, but I can I can hear it in in, in your voice and in in your husband. Uh, he's got great parents behind him, and that's what it's all thank about. Thank you. So, uh, thanks a million for joining us on the program. Thank you. Good thank morning, you. dear. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Alison Lynch, who's mum of. 
uh, nearly eight year old uh, Oliver uh, it's just fantastic what he is uh, achieving and, if, and and I know a lot of people saw that little piece that Paul Byrne had up on Virgin Media News on, on Friday it was just such a heartfelt piece it was just his determined little spirit to watch him put one foot in front of the next he's, he's terrific and long may he continue You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed an email I want to bring to you that I got um, yesterday and my apologies the show was too busy yesterday I didn't get around to giving it a mention but thank you to Sheila Burns in Barry Row for writing to tell me about what she describes as her amazing friend Deirdre Mulcahy who is going to shave off her beautiful hair this Saturday and she's doing it to raise funds for Marymount Hospice. Now the background to this story is that, um, Sheila writes in her email we are part of a gang of friends from the Blarney Carignavar areas and we are have we have been having our weekly Zoom calls and a few weeks ago we decided she would raise some money for a worthwhile cause to try to do something positive in these worrying times. D selfishly offered to shave off all her hair despite us trying to convince her there are easier ways like a sponsored walk. So we're rallying around and trying to get as much money raised as possible for Marymount Hospice. We picked this charity by the way as many of our families have needed their services and their care has been incredible to our loved ones in their final days. We are hoping that you give it a mention on your programme please to try to get as many people as possible to donate before D-Day which is this Saturday. Our goal is 10,000 euro and when Sheila was emailing me she says we're at nearly 8,000 and then she forwards on the link uh, to me if you could share it on your social media it's D's lockdown uh, shave so I went on to the Facebook page and took a quick look at D's lockdown head shave and she's up at 8,328 and there is a gorgeous picture of uh, dear Jamalkahi who has a gorgeous head of hair a really gorgeous head of hair and she's willing to shave it, off, shave it all off. It's incredible. Well done. Good luck uh, to you, uh, Deirdre. It is a real selfless act that you are doing. It really, it really is. And well done to all the people who've donated so far. So if you'd like to donate, if you go to the GoFundMe uh, page and shim- simply uh, type in D's Lockdown Head Shave for at Marymount and, uh, and I'm sure she will get to her 10,000 mark. It's uh, fantastic. Congratulations uh, to, to the group that came together today to do the fundraising. But well done to Deirdre for suggesting having her head shaved. Thank you to Sheila in Barry Row for sending that on uh, to us. Now, some of your texts coming in. Mm. This doesn't sit well with me, I have to say. Hi, Patricia. Hope you're well. Aer Lingus are advertising flights says this uh, texter. So a friend of mine booked a return flight for her husband for the end of the month. Her husband lives in Germany. His plan is to come to Ireland. He'll isolate for the full uh, two weeks. So they booked the ticket. A few days later, Aer Lingus cancelled saying they're no longer operating that flight between Ireland and uh, Germany. This is a, this is appalling. They've taken her money. I believe this is false advertising. And by the way, she's still waiting since March for another refund. Uh, very annoyed by it. I'm very disappointed. And I would absolutely, if it was me, I'd be very annoyed as well. Very disappointed to hear that, that they're doing that. I know some of the flights are starting to open back up again. And we know, for example, Ryanair, they're planning on putting, I think it's about 40% of their flights are going to be back up and running by the 1st of July. So obviously booking is going to open uh, open on that. But I'm disappointed uh, to think that any airline would take 
money from somebody and then within a couple of days decide no we're going to cancel that flight and there is a huge problem with they they have to by law give the refunds back but there's a massive problem and before anybody asks I'm still awaiting a refund on a flight that was cancelled for me it was for Easter so it was in the 10th of April I think I was on the 10th was my birthday which was the Friday the 11th uh, I was due to fly and I still haven't had a, a refund on that and I know I check in every now and again on the Aer Lingus Twitter feed to see what is going on and I can see loads of people complaining because they haven't got their refunds and loads of people complaining because they opted for the voucher because you can get a voucher instead where they give you back the cost of your flight plus 10% and people are seeing that as a way of getting a bit of extra money towards a future flight Uh, but people are having problems getting their vouchers back as well but very disappointing uh, to hear that that's happened particularly when this listener's friend is already waiting on one refund and will now have to attempt to go back through the whole process of getting a second second flight and that's been cancelled and get it uh, refunded. Uh, let us know, by the way, to that texture. Let us know how your friend gets on, uh, please. And Michael in Mill Street has sent in a text saying, Patricia, the road between Ballydaly and Mill Street is very busy at the moment with silage uh, tractors. That's OK. But the speed that some of them are travelling at is very scary. Uh, please, folks, when you're out, there's a lot of agricultural vehicles and they're making hay while the sun shines and all of that. And that's very understandable. But can they slow it down on the roads, please? And for road users, please Be careful. You never know what's coming against you on a bend. But to the actual uh, people driving those uh, tractors and the agricultural machines, please, please slow it down. There's enough tragedy going on in the world at the moment without more uh, accidents on the road. We're going to be talking about cyclists in a couple of minutes. Uh, We have a cautionary tale and just to warn people that to be careful when you're out and about. Mark uh, is a cyclist. He said, Patricia, instead of people giving out about cyclists, maybe they should take a closer look at home. I cycle up the well road in Douglas to go to work. Well, says Mark, that's when I was going to work. Trying to stay in as close to the curb as possible. And And I pull in wherever I can and let cars pass me by as it is a very narrow road. The amount of crazy drivers who try to pass by me and have at times run me off the road and into the curb. Some people are absolutely oblivious to their actions. I know this is there is equally as for bad cyclists as drivers and I see them regularly too but everybody just seems to be in a rush. People need to slow down and people need to calm down says Mark. Yeah, and then we just have to all it's like we're trying to learn to live with this coronavirus. We need to, have we ever learned to live sharing the road? We need to share the road with everyone who needs to use the road. So yeah, slow down and calm down is Mark's advice. Mark, which this is on people going to the shops and the one metre and the two metre and the social distancing and all of that tied in then with churches. We've been talking about should churches reopen? And actually I can see a lot of text and a lot of reaction on the churches which I'll get to. But Margaret's on about shopping and she said some shops have got it so so right and so well. And she said I love going to some shops. But then there's other shops that simply won't go into because I'm not happy with the way the social distancing is operating in the stores. It is the people going in who are ruining it for others. So if people behave the same in our churches, then their priests may have many, many reasons to be worried. Some people are simply just stupid. My daughter lives in Kerry and she says the very same thing is happening there as well. There's a, this, the shop that I won't go into, my husband won't go into it either. I get mass every morning, half past uh, 10 uh, and I pray every day. Every Sunday I get our local mass. I know our priests are worried about uh, their people thanking you, uh, says uh, Margaret and it's down to people and how people behave and that's 
the only way we're going to see the restrictions eased. They can put all the restrictions in place, but unless people abide by them and we all play the game right and follow this roadmap and if everyone behaves properly then more and more things will reopen but social distancing is certainly with us and is going to be with us I think for quite some time and reaction to Alice who joined us on the programme from Cove uh, people reacting to Alice somebody said I listen listen to your programme most days and that lady Alice who was on from Cove speaking about the reopening of the uh, church do you know she spoke the most since in the last two months that anyone's been on your program uh, says uh, there's no name on, on that particular uh, text. Hi Patricia, we have mass from St Mary's Church in Mallow every morning, holy hour every evening. Well done to our priests. I say thank you to them. It is wonderful to have such a great uh, service and thanking you Patricia for your programme and to your team. Stay well. Great to hear Father Tim Hazelwood who joined you earlier on the programme. I don't know him but I really do feel he is uh, an inspiration and that's signed from a regular listener in Mallow. Thank you uh, for that. I, yeah, I think Father Tim always makes such sense. It's, just, it's almost like common sense uh, with him and he's, he, he never talks above you or there's never a feeling from him that as a priest he feels above anyone he feels very much on everyone's uh, level he's, he's he's a good guy he's a, he's a good good uh, priest as indeed are the majority of, of priests but he's, he's somebody we regularly use because he's a member of the Association of Catholic Priests and he puts himself out there as a spokesperson for that group so he's always great whenever we put the word out that we want him on the uh, programme Someone else says this beautiful online Mass and Rosary every morning coming from Mill Street Church and every evening from Boherbwe there are two wonderful priests and we are so lucky to have them. They even bless holy water online. Ah, I'd forgotten that when we mentioned holy water earlier. We heard that was coming up to Easter, wasn't it? They were doing that. A number of the churches were doing that. They just literally had the water with you and they they blessed it virtually over the uh, internet. Also, Teresa says, Patricia, just wondering, when the churches do reopen and masses are back up and running, what will happen with the giving out of Holy Communion when they can't touch a person's mouth or they can't touch a person's hands? How is that going to operate, says Teresa. Now, I saw online and it was from Italy. And I don't know if all churches have reopened in Italy, but Italy are obviously ahead of us when it comes to coronavirus because they were, uh, as a country, my God, we saw those awful scenes coming out from there. Uh, I intensive care units. I saw a priest giving out communion in Italy and he was using a communion dispenser, I suppose you would call it. It was a cylindrical shaped, almost looked like stainless steel and he was holding it and there was a handle and he held it out then. The person came, the the people coming for communion were all two metres away from him so they stood, put their hand out. He put his hand out holding this communion dispenser over the person's hand, clicked a button and a host dropped out from the bottom of it. Now, I don't know how common they are going to be, but I thought it was a very clever way of giving out Holy Communion because Teresa is right. How do you go about handing, you can't put a a host while we're we're living with coronavirus into somebody's mouth, can't go from one hand into uh, another hand. You can't say to people that you take your own host out because you'd be touching others. So, yeah, whether this is a device, I don't know how and where you get them from, but I certainly saw it online and that was a, a good few weeks ago. And then Sheila says, this is on the, I suppose, tying in with um, 
Alice who said the churches should reopen and other people agreeing with Alice that we do need to reopen the churches sooner rather than later and Alice would go so far as to say the churches should never have closed uh, due to COVID-19. Sheila says hi Trish and then you get a somebody's annoyed when they put that in the text. What the hell is wrong with these people says Sheila. Wanting everything opened up etc. Don't they realise we are living in a pandemic. The alternative could be death. Nothing is worth that. I go to Mass regularly and I know God is with us always. We don't need a church building to be close to him. We can make a spiritual communion and if it's made with sincerity, it's just as real. My message today says Sheila's cop on and stay home until all of this is uh, over. Thank you for that, uh, Sheila. Also, what else have we got here? Anne says, this is on, should the churches reopen? There's no such thing as social distancing inside in a church. And who's going to do the sanitising of the church? That lady is not thinking, this is Alice, is not thinking outside of the box. We would be touching everything. You go into a church, you're lighting candles, you're touching the statues, you're kneeling down, you're touching the pews. It's what people do. It's what we all do inside in a church and and a holy place. Who's going to go in and and sanitise after each person? Well, that's one of the reasons why the churches have been closed. It's to do with the cleaning and the deep cleaning of the church and and Father Tim very clearly explained that and even when some churches, not all churches, but a lot of churches now are open and they open for so many hours a week and they've, you know, there's just people in there, the stewards almost in there, one way in, one way out, use your hand sanitizer. And they have, I've seen pictures up online of, you know, the kind of yellow tape, like the danger tape that's put around something. There's a hole in the footpath or whatever. They have blocked off seats to tell people, don't, don't kneel down, don't, you know, don't sit on the pews come in, say your prayers, leave, don't touch anything. And that's to try to avoid people passing on COVID-19 or leaving COVID-19 behind and then somebody comes in and, and picks up. So the churches, bless their hearts, are, are trying to do the best that they can. But yeah, it's the cleaning of the church in order to stop the spread of COVID-19 and that's the reason that the churches were forced to close in the first place and then online it seems to be the way to go. Hi Patricia, Father Toby Blewett is doing Mass online in Kentuck and he has two beautiful singers with him every Sunday morning. It's absolutely lovely and also gives us a focus for the week. Please publicly thank him. And that's from a Kentuck listener. So as Father Toby Blewett is listening, thank you. You are very much appreciated by your parishioners. And Father Leem is in Dreamer League and Heidi says he does a Mass online too. I don't know if this is every day or it's on Sundays. Oh, he does an online Mass on Sundays 11am. Sorry, Heidi, I just see it at the end of your text. And he can have up to 170 people tuning in at any one uh, time. So there is, there certainly is a big appetite out there for sure for online services. And on hand sanitizer, somebody is pointing out that you can buy, this is when somebody's saying how expensive hand sanitizers are and somebody's saying that you can pay 12 euro for a bottle of hand sanitizers. I did say you do need to shop around. I think at the start when hand sanitizers went into short supply, the prices really started to go up because they went in short supply worldwide. So very much was uh, supply and demand. And whenever there's 
shortage prices go up uh, but there doesn't seem to be the same shortage that was there at the start. Somebody is saying that a lot of the pound shops now in the discount stores you can get a bottle of hand sanitizer for one euro uh, fifty and somebody else says I've seen them in the supermarkets uh, for two uh, euro. So shop around I think basically is the message when you need to buy your hand uh, sanitizer. And let me go to one quick uh, text that came in from Jim in West Cork. Jim says, Patricia, what is happening with the contact tracing app that they've been talking about? Surely this app would give a good indication of positive cases in any given area at any given time. That's uh, from Jim in uh, West Cork. So I did a quick Google search to see what's going on and I'm told the the app Ireland's app, this is the contact tracing app uh, that you have to sign into. You'll have to, it'll be up to you if you want to take part uh, or not. It's still under development. It's a Waterford based company called Nearform are developing uh, the app. But at the HSE said they've no confirmed launch date for the app. The app is on track to complete development by the end of this month and then it'll be followed by a large-scale field test ahead of a public uh, release. Now, the, there's the data protection impact assessment and that'll be done in parallel with the field, te- the field test. And the app will, be, will then be available when it's fully operational and when all approvals are in place from the relevant authorities as part of the implementation of the COVID-19 roadmap for uh, recovery. And we do know that contact tracing apps are working very, very successfully in other countries. I know Apple and Google are involved uh, with it as well. But anyway, ours is still under development. The last time I got a date, uh, Jim, it was to be next month, as in June sometime. Looking at that piece, which is a piece from four days ago, clearly saying that it certainly won't be available for release by the end of May. I'm still thinking we'll be looking at June before it is available. We are keeping a very close eye on that on that story and uh, if if and when any information comes out on that contact tracing app we certainly uh, will bring an interview and, and, and we'll look into it as best we can here on the programme and hi Patricia would you be able to find out if the respite grant is paid out of normal on the 1st at Thursday in June yeah we looked into this a couple of weeks ago we've had a lot of calls in about this and yes it's due to be paid out um, the first week in uh, June and normally arises around the first Thursday so yes that uh, respite grant is still going ahead this year 1850 John Paul taking your course text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Now, Paul Meskell, he is the star. Uh, he plays uh, Connell Waldron. Anyone who's been watching the or is watching the TV series Normal People who know who Paul Meskell is. Well, he has donated a personal chain to raise funds for a raffle for Pieta House. The raffle starts at €10 for 10 entries and they're on sale up to Monday the 8th of June. You can log on to the Cork Diary section on our webpage www.c103.ie and follow the link for gorallyup.com chain for for Pieta and the raffle then will take place on Monday the 8th of June at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. There's great excitement about that chain and I'm assuming it's the chain that he that he's wearing on, on the programme itself. Band and Band, The Shrugs, 
they have stayed connected with their musical friends during lockdown. They've compiled a series of musical videos called the COVID Collective and it comprises of talented musicians from here in Ireland, across the water in the United Kingdom and also across Europe and you can view them on their Facebook page. Well worth checking out. Their Facebook page is the Shrugs Band Cork. They've got four up so far and the latest one is a terrific version of Gilbert O'Sullivan's Get Down. And Castle Magna Community Development, they are hoping to publish a collection of stories and poems from bygone years and they're asking for elderly people to recall the stories and events which they've witnessed over the years or that they may have heard their parents or grandparents talk to them about and members of the Community Development Association will be in touch soon. Uh, to get all the information from you. And Don Manway Family Resource Centre have experienced volunteers available if anybody is experiencing anxiety or difficulty at this time. You can call them on 023 9956818. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. C103 encourages you to shop local during COVID-19. Most of our stores remain closed, so we can't go to the shop, but we can still support them by shopping online. Use Facebook, Instagram and Twitter to search for hashtag shop local. And buy from Cork businesses. Buy from Cork businesses. It's a sign of the time. Get everything you need from toys to toilet roll and groceries to gardening. Support your neighbours, friends and communities and shop local. It's a sign of the time. Supported by McCarthy Insurance Group, a Cork family business looking after you in this time of need. CMIG.ie Shop local with C103. Tom has suggested when people are saying what will they, when churches reopen, what will they do about handing out uh, communion and handing out the host? Tom says, could people not bring their own bread to Mass and then have it have it consecrated? I've no way of knowing if that can work or not. But Tom says, thinking outside the box, that could be a solution. And Mary says, Patricia, I was in a Dunn Stores branch on Sunday and there was a lot of small children there. Is that allowed? <laughs> it's up to individual stores. Some stores don't allow children. Others do. I'm very slow to jump in and criticise any parent that ends up in a supermarket that does allow children with, because you don't know what's going on in a person's life. It could be that there's nobody at home to look after the children. We've heard some heartbreaking stories of single parents who uh, felt like pariahs when they went to the supermarket. They had no one else to look after their uh, children and, you know, in some cases were refused entry into a supermarket. The I know some supermarkets ask that you don't bring in uh, children but it's it's up to individual supermarkets uh, whether they have a no children rule or not but as I say I'm slow to criticise any parent because you just don't know what's going on with individual families thank you for your text to 0862 103 103 now with more and more people out and about getting exercise especially with the good weather that we're having at the moment n- motorists need to be more attentive than ever and especially Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Actually, keep an eye out for the increased number of cyclists on our roads. Passage West Councillor Marcia Dalton uh, joins me with a concerning incident that happened to her and her family yesterday. Good afternoon to you, Marcia. Hello, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. Now, firstly, do you and your family, do you do a lot of cycling? Um, no, not an especially amount. I've got an older son who's 18. He cycles everywhere. Uh, I used to, you know, when I was younger, but life doesn't allow it much anymore. But during lockdown, we did an awful lot of cycling. Um, myself and the two smaller ones, maybe 10 and 12. The 10-year-old is a boy and 12-year-old is a girl. And, you know, daddy would join us sometimes or whatever. Um, but we really hadn't cycled together much until that Okay. Uh, we have a local greenway, actually. We're very fortunate there. And we would use that Great. Um, in a leisure sort of a way. But during lockdown, that became very busy and social distancing was difficult. And you know, the pedestrians didn't so much like being close to cyclists. And it was all a bit higgledy-piggledy on it. So we stayed off it and we, we took to the roads and we got some great road cycling practice in, you know, so... That was that was wonderful. And your children are 10 and 12, well aware yeah. of the rules of the road, well aware yeah. on how to handle themselves on their bicycles when they're out on a public road. Yeah, I have a lot of confidence in them. They're very good and they have had a lot of practice and I try to teach them, you know, to hold your position in the road and don't be bullied off. Stay a metre out from cars, parked cars, so if the door opens that you're not snagged in it. So they always go out with high vis and helmets and... And in fact, yesterday when we were going out, I'd been to work in the morning. Work is getting busier and I felt guilty that I hadn't brought the kids out. And I said, OK, lads, let's go for a cycle. You know, we haven't done a cycle in a couple of weeks. We hadn't done a cycle together since lockdown had ended. My fault, not theirs. And I was readjusting Owen's helmet, the little fellow. Um, and, oh, gee, because I couldn't get it right. You know, the way sometimes they're hard to adjust and get right. And I was cursing him and he was cursing me. And I said, no, we've got to do it. And um, and then in hindsight, I'm just so grateful that we took that time because the helmet saved us bacon. Tell us what happened. Um, we were we we'd gone up the country roads and we're coming back down home, and um, it was all very leisurely and nothing particularly fast. And he had gone on slightly ahead of us. Um, he likes we were coming back in through Monkstown, um, and he likes to stop and have a look at the boats in Monkstown. He adores boats. And the, the wee girl and myself were back a little bit further. We were talking about flowers, so you get the general <laughs> sense of the whole outing. Um, and the bend in the road, he had gone around the far side of the bend. And, and when we came caught up with him, we didn't expect to catch up with him, but when we did, on the other side of the bend, he was on the footpath with his helmet in his hand and, and he crying. And um, a, a, a car had squished him in to the side of the road uh, caught in the curb, rolled up on the footpath, came off the bike, banged his head off the wall, um, and the car had driven off. And he had never had an incident like this before, obviously, and was upset and scared. And we're just really, really fortunate that he's okay. He was grazed, and today he's just and he's sore. Um, I thought for a while afterwards he was going to faint. He was white as a sheet, and stupidly I had left my phone on the worktop at home charging, and I had it. It had rung his dad and asked his dad to pick him up. But we had to get home, so it would have been about, I suppose, maybe an hour's walk from where we were. So we put him in between 
herself, Ethel and myself, and said, we'll go really slowly. If you feel wobbly, you need to tell us. And he didn't want to get back up on the bike. I know. You know, he was scared. But we, we came home that way. We stopped a couple of times um, to make sure he was okay. And he said he didn't want to cycle again. And we said, you jolly well are cycling again. You know, you, you need to cycle again. Yeah, you have to. I mean, you did the, the, the right thing in that sense, get, getting back up on the bike. But as you say, uh, you, you, would, you literally had no other choice. OK, go back to this car. Had the car, pa- the car must have passed you as well, had it? The car must have, but it's quite a busy road. And during lockdown, the roads were really very quiet. Normally, I would take the kids on the greenway because it's safe. It's also very flat. And my young fella is a good cyclist. He's got a racing bike, small because he's only 10, but it's a racing bike and he knows the rules of the road and he wants a challenge. So challenging myself, we had Passage West Monkstown, it's full of hills, and we had done a lot of the hills during lockdown in a way we wouldn't normally because of traffic. And I had gone out yesterday, I suppose, again, stupidly on my part, not copying that the roads actually had got considerably busier since lockdown. And confident in my children and their ability, because we had had so much practice. Um, And I guess the message is, sometimes practice isn't enough. Mm. Um, And the irony is... I get, because I'm a counsellor, and the mom, like, first and foremost, but I'm a counsellor. Because I'm a counsellor, I get a lot of upset people who comment to me about cyclists using footpaths. And I'm very conscious that a lot of the pedestrians on footpaths are vulnerable. Um, older people who might be here so well or might have, you know, issues with such distance. And a cyclist comes up fast behind them without a bell and whoosh, and the older person gets a fright and sometimes lose their balance. I've had come, you know, some people come back to me having fallen off a footpath trying to socially distance with a cyclist to come up behind them. And I was going to go out on Facebook and have been planning it for a couple of days saying, you know, please try not to cycle on the footpath if you can. With the exception, obviously, of small kids who couldn't possibly go on the road for their own safety. And so my kids and I are really conscious of that and we do not cycle on footpaths ever. Even though they're younger, we don't cycle on footpaths. And the post had to change because of my experience yesterday. And, and the car, and I yeah. don't know if we've mentioned this already, the, the person driving the car didn't stop. No, he didn't stop, or she didn't stop, or the car didn't stop, no. And no. Do, 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 could they have bumped into Olin and not realised that they had done it? I don't know. It's possible. Or it's possible they didn't hit him at all. It's quite possible that they just squeezed him to the extent that he got frightened. And fell over. Yeah. And fell over. So they're staying alive at 1.5. You know, it, it, it is, a, as I say, it's a busy road. There's a stretch of on-road houses and the residents inevitably park their cars in front of their homes. So sometimes cars in the same direction as those on-street parked cars have to pull into their cars coming against the path. It's possible my kid didn't look like a child it, because, you know, the driver would have approached him from the back and he looked like a, a lad on a racing bike. Um, doesn't and, matter. Of course it doesn't matter, but somehow it's worse when it's a child, yeah, you know. Yeah, um, it's... And it's possible that the driver was going too fast, pulled in suddenly behind the parked cars, didn't spot that there was a cyclist, even though he was in a high-vis, you know, didn't realise that he had squeezed the boy as tight as he had and drove off. That's entirely feasible. Um, but clearly, whoever it was was driving was incredibly unaware of their surroundings and focused only on the cars and not on other road users. And the message, I think, from this, and the only message to give is we're sharing a really 
narrow road space. It's a combined footpath and carriageway. And you've got, it's designed for the least vulnerable of the users, like it's designed for the people with the metal box. And we all have to respect each other. It's a bit of respect, yeah, that's it. We just, and we have to share this road and, and we don't want uh, any accidents. And it's the one thing I know we've been talking about this uh, in the office most mornings now, how busy the roads have become. I mean, when lockdown started, the roads, it, I mean, I'd come to work some mornings and it was almost like a ghost town. It looked like I was the only one out, out, out on the roads. And, but definitely the roads are much busier. They are, yeah. And yet they're not back to where they were. <laughs> which is a sad irony. So I am presuming that road cycling for leisure purposes, shall we say, for people like myself and my kids, I think we just have to stop, which is truthfully really, really sad. Okay, and somebody wants to point out that you, you keep talking about during lockdown as if we're out of lockdown. Somebody wants very to point out. Point. Somebody a wants to point out point. it's only phase one. Yeah. It's only phase yeah. one. It's only so phase it one. Is, it is actually a very fair point on the part of your listener um, and, and something which gives us perhaps a false sense of security we're still very much staying within our 5K. You know, we stayed within our 2K, then we stay within our 5K, and we're still very, very, very conscious of that. But there are people who have gone back to work who weren't at work before. So mm. when I'm referring to lockdown, it was really when people were all working from home insofar as possible. Yeah. And and the roads were very much quieter. Well, definitely. We're only about just a little over a week into phase one and you certainly can see the business on the roads. OK, listen, the good news is that um, Olin is OK. And please, God, he'll get over it and he'll forget about it and he'll be he'll be back cycling as good as, as ever. But listen, thank you for joining us. It's a, it's an issue well worth raising. Thanks for joining us on the programme thank this morning. Thank you too, Patricia. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Passage West. Councillor Marcia Dalton please a little bit of respect out on the roads let's keep it safe for everybody 1850-333-103 lines open Court today on C103 with Mallow College now enrolling for courses in September plan your future education see the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie Fon Sawalcha Let's C103 Talkova Nidig on Shut in Aaron, Agus Kawat's Fanak Soale, Kunwit Fain, Agus Akela, Akosent, and Ishta Plan, the Kui came the Aun, Lahayantir, Oskos Rish, the Untoktova Dig Beltna, Beder, La Kupa Shrienta, Avia and Hana. Macha and Tudolamach and Bino Kogasa all, Fan Gavader, Erelide, Orina Ella, Bigi Olive the List, Shuppa Dorachta, Agus Nabi Brazal, Tor Aragodin, Ellis Shuppa, Agus Gunnafern, Atagoberan, Agus Bigi Masu, Matatu Dunaman Akliach, the Tavome, and Nish Takiadago Fanavoskurt. between Charleville and uh, Ban Oak Cross. There's multiple ambulances and fire brigade and the road is uh, closed. Uh, please God, everybody will be safe there, but avoid that area, please. That's the road between Charleville and uh, Ban Oak uh, Cross. And when we were talking about children and the need for children to go into shops, somebody says, hi, Patricia. Yes, I sometimes have to bring my daughter to the shops with me. Nobody else to look after her. When I do, she always wears a mask. I do find myself getting funny, li- funny looks, but I just ignore them in the pandemic. People should not judge others. Hashtag be kind. Thank you for that. Joe Heffernan joins us, who's always a very kind 
kind man. Uh, good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, uh, Patricia. And you're, and you're welcome. And unfortunately, busy show again, so we don't have a lot of time with you. But uh, cocooning and how is all that going? And that whole thing about not judging others and being kind, you never know what's going on in somebody else's life, do well, you? Well, that's very true. That's very true. And I mean, uh, the, the lady you just quoted there now, um, uh, you know, um, uh, needs must. And um, she has to bring her little child with her to the shop because uh, there is no one else to mind the child. Well, of course she brings her. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's not a very... good thing at all to be judging other people, really. Yeah, and, and we, we all seem to be very quick to do it and to be in there. And you just, you, you just I, I always say to people, you never know what's going on in somebody else's uh, life. Well, that's the truth. So we, do, we just need to be careful. Yeah. OK, yeah. Um, cocooning, and we, and we want to start, and, and we, we'll follow this up over the next few weeks. Um, cocooning and how cocooning can affect somebody's self-esteem. Yeah, when you think of it, the self-esteem, everybody wants good self-esteem, but a lot of people don't realise that there are building blocks to good self-esteem. And they are, there's five of them, our sense of security, our sense of identity, our sense of belonging our sense of purpose, and our sense of competence. Now, um, many of those will have taken a serious blow, a serious dent um, uh, since the COVID-19 with the restrictions, all of that. Um, The security is an obvious one. Um, Our sense of safety um, has been uh, either enhanced or diminished. Like We either... We're, 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 we're definitely more aware that we need to be safe and we take the steps that are necessary and that are uh, advised by um, the, the um, IFET and, yeah. and HSE and we do that to stay safe. Right, fair enough. Now, we come to, um, you know, a part of that then would be worry and anxiety about, I don't want to get this virus. Uh, I'm hearing the news. There's a lot of it not very uh, encouraging, although recently, of course, it is, Um, uh, and that kind of thing. And then we come to the sense of identity, Um, and there's be three aspects to that. Our personal identity, like our self-image, our beliefs, our values, our family ID, I suppose, um, in a parent, uh, one is defi- well. I'm speaking for myself. One is sort of defined by being, you know, a husband and a father. In in my own case, and um, you know that brings on um, its joys and its worries. Um, uh, and uh, it's tough recently because we're cut off, of course, from our family members, and and that's tough going. Then there's our social ID and our work. And um, with the social ID, you know, um, it brings up the two words, other people. Um, our local parish priest here, Father Jim Kennelly, who has been wonderful during all this uh, COVID crisis, um, uh, I'm just quoting a thing he said recently, that... Um, he was saying it. the whole thing makes us realize how little we need, how much we have, and the value of human contact. And I think that's well true. Put. Yeah. That's really well, well, well put. Yeah. 
I mean, when it becomes a real big deal that you can go to the local supermarket and buy a packet of biscuits, um, you know, uh, <laughs> we we begin to realise how little we need, what, what, what little things are so missed in our life when they are missing. And um, it's funny because yesterday when I was saying to people, you know, what are they most looking forward to going forward as we head into the different uh, phases? And uh, it was all the simple things. You know, somebody spoke about can't wait to you know feel sand in my toes and walk on a beach. Yeah. For a lot of people, it was can't wait to go back into a church and to have have live mass said inside yeah. In, yeah. in a church. For a lot of people, can't wait to hug a much loved grandchild. Yeah. But it was, you know, there was nobody saying, oh, I can't wait to go on, on a trip to the Bahamas. You know exactly. what I mean? It was, it was interesting. It's, it's the small, simple things that all of us are missing. Yes. And we realise then how little we need, how much we actually have, and the value of human contact. Yeah. And, um, and that's why staying in contact, and it's the one thing we've been pushing all the time, yes. is to reach out, isn't it? And staying, and, and we're lucky, we're lucky in this pandemic Bart, the one 100 years ago, technology is playing a huge part. Indeed it is. Um, I, I would always be a bit sceptical about a lot of the social media and all that kind of thing. I'm not in any of it. But, um, yeah, when it comes to the all WhatsApp and the Skype and when you have family who are um, very... Uh, in in some cases, um, well, at the moment, of course, Cork seems I, like another planet. I know, but I used to keep in contact. I'm just looking at the clock. We've gone. Yeah. I've got to go. I've got to go. Listen, we'll talk to you next week, Joe. Thank you for that. Okay. Uh, stay safe and so well. Stay well. That is uh, Joe uh, Heffernan in uh, who runs County Practice in Boerhaave. You got to leave it there. Talk to you tomorrow. Court today on C103 with Mallow College now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. COVID-19 is challenging for everyone. If you are studying or doing schoolwork at the moment, it's often hard to stay focused when working alone at home. This is normal. Taking regular breaks and rewarding yourself is key to staying motivated. Following the order of subjects as they appear on your usual school timetable may help. Another option may be to take a short break after what is the usual length of a class period in your school. Your school may be using technology to support your education at this time. Remember to check the school website and your email regularly for messages from your school. And of course, make time for things you enjoy, whether it's watching your favourite TV show or connecting with friends online. Stay safe and stay up to date with all COVID-19 information at c103.ie. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.